before you take this historic vote today, one week before Christmas, I want you to keep this in mind. When Jesus was falsely accused of treason, Pontius Pilate gave Jesus the opportunity to face his accusers. During that sham trial, Pontius Pilate afforded more rights to Jesus than the Democrats have afforded this president. It's time for Forward Nation Radio. Now here he is, the host of Forward Nation Radio, David Leventhal. Yes, despite the impassioned pleas of the Yahoo crowd, history was made this week. For only the third time in, well, the history of the world, a president of the United States was impeached. I know, third time, that's more than the Rangers have won the Stanley Cup in any extant person's lifetime, and more than the number of meaningful games the Knicks have played in my children's lifetimes. But still, that's not a whole lot. Welcome to Forward Nation Radio. I'm David Leventhal. We will, of course, be talking about this epical event today. But first, to start the show, I'd like to discuss uh, some recent events that reflect upon issues that we've been talking about recently and that I like to talk about a lot on this show. First of all, in case you've missed it, the Obamacare individual mandate was struck down by the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. That is the Federal Circuit Court one step below the United States Supreme Court. This was the ruling on the appeal of a right-wing judge who had thrown out the entire Affordable Care Act because uh, he'd struck out the mandate and felt the whole rest of the act needed to go. The appeals court didn't go that far. And by the way, when I mention appeals court, let me be clear, I'm talking three judges in total. It was a three-judge panel, two of whom were right-wing Republican appointees, one of whom was a Donald Trump appointee. And the other one was a George Bush Jr. appointee. These two judges, illustrating why Republicans fight and cheat and steal so that they could fill our federal court with Neanderthals, have, at this point, thrown a big brick in the way of the Affordable Care Act, even though they haven't gone as far as the lower court judge, and they sent it back to him for consideration whether the whole act should be thrown out. They did throw out the individual mandate. To be clear about the importance of federal judges, one of the judges in the majority, one of the two, was a guy by the name of Kurt Engelhart. That's the Trump appointee. Like all, he's a member of the right-wing Federalist Society where he has been vetted to make sure that he'll be voting the right way in important cases. When Engelhart was nominated, here's what the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights, a coalition of more than 200 national organizations committed to promoting and protecting the civil rights and human rights of all persons in the United States, wrote expressing their serious concerns about the nomination of Kurt Engelhardt to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit. Turns out he had a bit of a checkered past with respect to civil rights and human rights. This is the guy who at this point is one of two people on the planet, both appointed by right-wing presidents, both appointed by presidents who lost the popular vote to become president, and who've had an incredible impact on the way our society will be run and how people will get to live their lives. To be clear, what's happening here, the 
Orig- originally, the United States Supreme Court upheld Obamacare's original mandate in a five to four ruling. We've talked about this in the past on this show. This is where Chief Justice Roberts angered the right by joining the four non reactionary justices on the United States Supreme Court in upholding the individual mandate. I've spoken about this and said that the Neanderthals on the right apparently don't understand the long game as well as John Roberts, who's smarter than they are. John Roberts' ruling, as I noted at the time, was not grounded in the Commerce Clause, where it should have been grounded, that the federal government has the right to do this under the United States, um, under the Commerce Clause of the United States Constitution. By narrowly holding the Commerce Clause, he did more damage in the long run than his ruling to strike the individual mandate would have done in the short run. He, in fact, based his decision to uphold, to give the government the right to, to impose the individual mandate on the government's taxing power. Well, since that time, under the Republican Trump tax bill of 2017, they removed the tax penalty for people who do not Uh, who do not get health insurance, the individual mandate. And so now it was thrown back to the courts on the theory that as long as there's no penalty for not signing up for health insurance, then clearly it can't be supported under the government's taxing power. So therefore, the individual mandate should fail. That's what the reactionary in the Fifth Circuit District Court said, and that's what Kurt Engelhart and Jennifer Walker Elrod agreed with. In this case, the fact that Congress was not able to overturn the Affordable Care Act while they were taxing and doing other things was deemed to them not very important. It was deemed pretty damn important by the dissenting judge in this most recent case. So now the effort to take health care away from millions and millions of Americans proceeds apace. On our show last week, we talked a lot about one of my unfortunately favorite subjects these days because of how important it is, the concept of false equivalences and how they are helping to destroy our society and peddle bullshit. Well, here's a false equivalence update from the week. Uh, As I noted last week, for those who didn't yet listen or didn't listen to last week's show, false equivalence is when you just basically say both sides do it. You dismiss your ignorance and the fact that things may be more complicated by just saying, well, it's both sides, they all do it. Uh, George Bush Jr. lied us into war. Bill Clinton lied about his sex life. They're all liars. Well, here's something that Peter Baker wrote in the New York Times. Peter Baker is the New York Times White House correspondent who has done some great reporting during the Trump administration. But now he appears to be auditioning for a job at Fox News, way more lucrative, I'm sure, than the one he has now. I pointed out lying and propaganda are always pay much better than journalism pays. Here's what Peter Baker wrote in the New York Times. While truth was deemed an endangered species in the nation's capital long before President Trump's arrival, it has become axiomatic in the era of alternative facts that each person or party entertains only their own preferred variant, resisting contrary information. Rarely has that been on display as starkly as on Monday, underscoring the deep distrust that many Americans harbor towards their leaders and institutions, talking about impeachment. And thus, we make a false equivalence between a political party that has some interest in upholding the rule of law and a political party that has become nothing other than a criminal organization. 
While truth was deemed an endangered species in the nation's capital long before President President Trump's arrival, with all due respect, Mr. Baker, did you live through the Obama administration? Was that your sense of President Obama? President Obama was the same kind of liar that President Trump is? Yeah, I didn't think so. It has become axiomatic in the era of alternative facts that each person or party entertains only their own preferred variant. Here's the funny thing about alternative facts. They don't come out of both parties. It's not each person or each party. It is only Trump and his ilk, the Kellyanne Conways of the world, the Republican Party itself, that believes in alternative facts, that made up the whole concept of alternative facts. The political party I tend to vote for, the Democratic political party, does not believe in alternative facts. They believe in something alternative to alternative facts, and we call that facts. Yeah, we believe that there actually is something to things that are true as opposed to things that people made up. But we just make this false equivalence, does Mr. Baker, between these two sides, that it's both parties who just want to live in their own preferred variant of alternative facts. Again, their own preferred variant of alternative facts, being that people on the left believe in living with facts and people with the right don't. Not exactly equivalent, is it? Points out resisting contrary information. I will point out, Mr. Baker, that people on the left, everyone I've dealt with, talked to, had conversations with, uh, does not resist contrary information. We call this critical thinking. People on the left tend to still be capable of, of critical thinking. It's people on the right who are not capable of critical thinking. We do not resist contrary information, Mr. Baker. We resist bullshit. We resist lies. That's what we resist. Also in the New York Times, different article by Carl Hulse, with the House poised to impeach President Trump on a mainly party-line vote and Republicans already threatening retribution, fears are mounting that presidential impeachment might, like the filibuster, become a regular feature of America's weaponized politics. With members of the party out of the White House, but in control of the House, routinely trying to oust a president they find objectionable. Ah, yes. Notice how he says, fears are mounting. That great weasel expression. Fears are mounting. Well, they might be mounting because you're writing them on paper and it's being published in the New York Times, Mr. Hulse. Uh, Routinely trying to oust a president they find objectionable? Donald Trump has been worthy of impeachment for almost three years. It took 2.9 of those years for the Democrats to get on board to try to impeach him as reluctantly as they possibly could. And this becomes weaponized politics. This becomes both sides on the House of Representatives. The last time a president was impeached was Bill Clinton. He lied about sex. Let's be clear that Donald Trump's lying about sex isn't even on the radar screen among all the things that he has done wrong. He has repeatedly lied about sex. He's, in fact, broken laws to pay people to shut up to support his lies about sex. And that's not even being discussed on the Democratic side. So when he says it will become a regular feature of America's weaponized politics, he's he's pointing out that Republicans are threatening retribution. Fuck Republicans. They don't need an excuse for retributions. They started this in the first place and they're doing everything they can to destroy America. Are they worried about retribution that Democrats 
will not appoint any of their judicial nominees? Oh no, we're not talking about that. We're falsely equivalent, make, making a false equivalence between two sides that are absolutely not equivalent. This is pathetic. This is in the New York Times. Okay, gee, why can't we all just get along? Here's some news for you, Carl. It's because one political party in this country is a criminal organization that has absolutely no interest in playing by the rules of supporting the United States Constitution. How about, or, or as we would say, both sides are really not respecting things right now, are they? Jesus, this is the New York fucking times. What hope does this country have when this is the kind of shit that's being printed in the New York Times that's just accessible? It is remarkable that the public is so divided in this country, we wonder. Both of these authors were wondering in their pieces. In fact, Mr. Hulse goes on to say in his article, the escalating use of the filibuster and the rising toxicity of Supreme Court confirmation hearings are examples of how scorched earth politics can be hard to extinguish once one party feels aggrieved and gets the opportunity to exact revenge. Yes, one party. You should have really gone with that one instead of now making the false equivalence that it's the same. So you write this shit that makes this equivalence between the two parties. A Democratic Party that actually acts on Republican president judicial appointments, even when the Republican president lost the popular vote for president, and a Republican Party that simply will not act on actually democratically elected leaders from the other side. In other words, both sides. So this is why the public is so divided, because everything is phrased as both sides. You're either on one side or you're on the other side. We are reading in the New York Times and everywhere else about the, quote, partisan divide over impeachment. Yes, there is a remarkable partisan divide over impeachment. There is also a partisan divide over whether the earth is flat. Some say the earth is round. Some say the earth is flat. Why do we all have to just stick to our respective positions? There is a partisan divide over impeachment because one side follows the law and tries to apply the United States Constitution. One side lives up to its oath of office and one side is a criminal organization that does none of these things. Wake the fuck up and understand what decent people in this world are up against or we are going to lose and if we lose well basically so does the civilized world uh this is just this whole idea of false equivalence i'm reminded as i'm as i'm thinking about this is a game that the republican party wins all the time just by our playing it the republican party wins there's a couple of reasons for that of course because With all this stuff, the response from the average American who doesn't pay a whole lot of attention to what's going on in the country and can't distinguish between a criminal organization and a political party, people just turn against government. The response is, government again. They're all like that. They're all bad. And that, of course, suits the GOP just fine. Because remember, this is the party that basically doesn't believe in government. Remember the whole concept of government as expressed by, who were those people? Oh, yeah, our founding fathers is that government's job is to promote the common interests, the common welfare, against the special interests. 
The Republican Party, of course, only cares about the special interests, rich people. So if everybody just dismisses the whole concept of government, we get less government, and maybe they even get some piece of shit like Donald Trump into the presidency. So just by playing this game, the GOP wins. Thanks a lot, Pete. Thanks, Carl. Uh, It's also, of course, for the benefit of the GOP because by falsely equating two sides, you are falsely equating truth and decency and honesty with liars and cheaters. You are, in fact, giving politicians an incentive to lie, cheat, steal, whatever else. At the very least, they'll just keep moving that famous proverbial Overton window, the acceptable range of discourse in this country, further and further in the direction of liars and cheaters. So when you don't distinguish between who has some decency and who doesn't, you are rewarding those who do not. In other words, you are rewarding the Republican criminal organization. Okay, so now let's talk about impeachment, the making of history. The Democrats, as expected, passed two articles of impeachment. One, abuse of power. Two, obstruction of Congress. They passed these two among the dozens and dozens they could have been passing and still investigating because they wanted to keep it simple. The the crimes in this case that we know of, that we have tapes of, that we've seen in real time, that we've had witnesses come testify to, the crimes that are basically slam dunk in this case are the kind of things, so the Democratic Party thinks, it stands for itself and everyone can understand. So perhaps about half of this country understands some idea of what's going on and what's being brought. So, of course, passing these two unarguable uh, articles of impeachment was too much for the Republican Party. I don't know if you had a chance to watch any of the uh, impeachment hearings, uh, the the argument in Congress before the vote. Uh, I watched some of it. I can't watch very much. My therapist has ordered me to watch this thing because it's not good for my health. Um, I just can't deal with the Republican bullshit. I, I literally, I don't know how anybody could sit and watch this. I watched this for a few minutes and I am reminded of the famous scene in the movie A Clockwork Orange where they take the the criminal juvenile delinquent and they force his eyes open and they force him to watch scenes of violence such as he has been perpetrating until it becomes he becomes so sick of it that he can't engage in it anymore. This is now what I think in my fantasy should be happening to the president of the United States, the entire Republican criminal organization and everyone on Fox News before they are assigned to rotten hell for eternity. They should be forced with their eyes propped open, tied to a chair, to watch facts, to look at things that are true. They should be forced to sit and be exposed to something other than their own fucking lies. It would be torture, and it would be absolutely delicious for those of us who would pay a lot of money on pay-per-view to actually get to watch that. Because watching this criminal organization and its adherence at this point has become clearer and clearer as like watching a cult in real time. I've argued on this show many times over the few years of our existence that the Republican Party and its and its adherents, its supporters, basically resemble a, a religious cult more than it does any kind of political organization. And case 
you thought I was being a little unfair to the cultists and the fucking morons who are part of this cult? I don't know. Maybe I'm going overboard. I mean, it's not like they're comparing the president of the United States, a lying piece of shit, to some messianic religious leader or anything. Oh, no, wait. If you listen to our show from the very beginning, that's actually what they're doing. They are comparing him to Jesus. But no, this isn't a cult or anything. Gosh, what will happen in this country if both sides start to accuse the other side of being a cult? That would be really bad. Anyway, the impeachment went through, and it really is a remarkable thing. It is a sobering experience, and frankly, it's mostly a letdown. I know we keep being told, and I am reminded that it is a remarkable experience. It is a somber, etc., all that other stuff. On the other hand, it's a real letdown. Despite the stakes for the country and the world, it's a letdown because we know what's going to happen. Because one side that controls the Senate just doesn't give a shit what this president does and is going to make this all go away. Speaking of people saying ridiculous shit regarding impeachment, did you read Donald Trump's anti-impeachment letter? Don't worry about it. Neither did I. Can't through, sit through six pages. Uh, now, to be fair, undoubtedly neither did Donald Trump. I mean, this is Donald Trump's anti-impeachment letter. Is there anybody out there? I'll give you a moment to think about this. Is there anybody out there who thinks that Donald Trump wrote this letter? Bear in mind, it's like six pages. Okay, Donald Trump hasn't read anything six pages long. So the odds of Donald Trump actually having read this letter that he supposedly wrote are probably really short odds. Or is it long odds? I don't know. Whatever it is. It's not very likely. But anyway, in his anti-impeachment letter, basically, l'état c'est moi. I am the state. It's all about what they are doing to the country. And by country, of course, Donald Trump means himself, the criminal currently running the country, because that's what l'état c'est moi means. I am the state. Donald Trump talked about the fact that Democrats are declaring open war on American democracy. I know our regular listeners are probably getting a little tired of me going over this one, but I got to go over this one every single time. Declaring open war on American democracy is something that you can understand would really, would really ruffle the feathers of the Republican criminal organization because, after all, that's their job. That's their job. That's what they've been doing for years and years and years. And that is, of course, what this whole impeachment is about, in fact. How ironic literally, in the literal use of the word, how ironic it is that those people who have declared open war on American democracy so that the president of the United States, their guy, can enlist foreign powers to help him steal the next election would be talking about the other side and its war on American democracy. Because two Republicans defending American democracy, defending yourselves, is the same thing as making war. It's like when they use the term class warfare. Democrats like to engage in class warfare. What they mean is the Democrats like to stand up for the lower classes who are currently having their heads pummeled in by the wealthy classes, the rich, the Republican criminal organization. And any any effort on your part to defend yourself, why, that, that's class warfare. That's class warfare. Uh, don't tell us to get our foots off of your off of your necks because that would be class warfare. Donald Trump even helpfully pointed out 
that um, the Salem witch trials provided more due process than the Democrats provided to the Republicans. Like everything else, of course, this is just an outright lie and does make one at least smile for a few minutes about the prospect of Donald Trump actually brought in front of a Salem witch trial. That would be really nice. In fact, in that vein, of course, Donald Trump used one of his favorite words in his letter, lynching. Yes, because to Donald Trump, to wealthy white people, this is what lynching is all about, when wealthy white people might actually have to face some accountability. You know, lynching. Proving once again that Donald Trump either doesn't know or doesn't care, probably both, what lynching actually was throughout the history of this country and how offensive it is that he keeps using that term. He keeps being told that it's offensive and he keeps not giving a shit because the fucking morons who support him don't fucking care. I'm sorry, did I say fucking morons? I meant to say fucking moron cultists. You know what a lynching is, Mr. Trump? You know, it's like the Central Park Five. It's like someone after they were exonerated with DNA evidence still saying they should be executed. That would be a lynching. But Donald Trump would appreciate that because, after all, lynchings are for black people. Anyway, Donald Trump's letter was whiny, petulant, childish. It was bullshit throughout the entire letter. It was one lie after another. It was one thing that was clearly refuted by all the evidence after another. So, in other words, whoever wrote that letter for Donald Trump has really captured Donald Trump's essence. Really did a great job capturing what Donald Trump is all about. Whiny, petulant, childish, full of shit. At five plus pages, someone did a lot of work. Too bad that the person he wrote it for undoubtedly wouldn't even have taken the time to read it. So anyway, after the vote in the House of Representatives and two articles of impeachment, it now goes to to the United States Senate for trial. Oops. Well, sort of. That's the way it's written up in the Constitution. But of course, that's only if you care about the Constitution, basically. Turns out the Democrats are not sending it to the Senate yet. Democrats are going to have to hold it in the House. Why? Because... It's already been made clear to them that the Senate is just going to do a sham trial, is going to just partisan bullshit from the very beginning, one lie after another, not allow any actual honest witnesses to come testify. It will be a propaganda show. It will probably be put on by Roger Ailes. Well, you know, or his ilk anyway. Because, you see, it's the strange thing. Democrats are holding it in the House because Donald Trump actually wants it to go to the Senate. Donald Trump, having met with Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, who has admitted to going to the White House to get his instructions from the defendant in a trial as to how that trial should not be conducted. Well, he knows that this is going to be a dog and pony show. And he wants that dog and pony show. And he wants it on TV. He wants people writing articles in the New York Times, making false equivalences about the two sides and putting on real witnesses and putting on Fox Newsworthy guests. Because after all, the president says he's innocent. 
So who needs witnesses? You know he's not going to let anybody testify. Why do you need facts? Why do you need evidence? When you can just tell the cultists that you are innocent. That should be all that they need. Because with his fucking brain dead supporters, there are absolutely no constraints on the President of the United States and the Republican criminal organization from putting on dog and pony shows in the United States Senate and spitting in the face of the United States Constitution. With respect to this going to the United States Senate, I have two words. Moscow Mitch. Truly a nickname worthy of its recipient. Moscow Mitch. Having no interest in what's good for this country, but apparently perfectly fine with promoting the interests of Moscow. As Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, pointed out, our founders, when they wrote the Constitution, they suspected that there could be a rogue president. I don't think they suspected that we could have a rogue president and a rogue leader in the Senate at the same time. No, perhaps the founders of this country did not anticipate a criminal organization masquerading as a political party. Maybe they also, well, actually I was going to say, maybe they didn't expect that half the population would be brain dead, except that's the reason we have the Electoral College, because they pretty much knew that half the population was brain dead. So now Trump is saying, among other things, that he is hoping to be vindicated in the 2020 elections. And he will certainly have his opportunity because he sure as hell will not be thrown out of office by the United States Senate. But of course, Donald Trump will be vindicated in the 2020 election regardless of, what, the 2020 election results. It doesn't matter. The results will not matter. And this is some scary shit. Because no matter what happens, Donald Trump will say that he was vindicated by the results. If he loses by 100 million votes... He will say this proves that the Democrats are a criminal political party. Because remember, this whole thing is about trying to steal the 2020 election. On that front, regarding the 2020 election, and the fact that maybe we shouldn't be placing all of our hopes in it, God help us, that's what the American voter is like. We just had, remember 2016, when the Brexit vote in Great Britain presaged for many people the possibility that Donald Trump could actually be elected president, that if the people of Great Britain could do something so counterfactual and so fucking stupid, God knows, so could the American people. Well, are we going down that path again? Welcome to Great Britain politics, where Boris Johnson, the Tory Conservative Party, the ultra-rightists, And Brexit just won big in the latest UK elections. I hope that the analogy with 2016 is false. Hope that while it may have been a a precursor in 2016, it will mean nothing in 2020. Let's hope. Because what it also could be indicative of is once again, the end of truth, the end of logic, and the end of reason not only in the United States of America, but throughout the world. It could presage the rise of the angry fucking morons around the world. The cult supporters, the cult followers, who will do as they're told by whatever propaganda. Sound familiar? This could be Nazi Germany all over again, right here in America, and apparently 
around the world as well. How ironic it would be in a couple of years if we're fighting World War III. The sides are almost the same as what they were the last time. Only the good guys and the bad guys have switched hats. The United States, Great Britain are wearing the black hats. We are the forces of autocracy and totalitarianism. And Germany and Japan, maybe, are fighting on the other side. And we will be the bad guys. You look at what's going on in this country and around the world, and you just say, how the hell is this not the end of democracy? William Webster, the only American to head both the FBI and the CIA in his career, having done so under Republican presidents, had an op-ed this week where he talked about the dire threat to this country. Dire threat to the country. Not from both sides, by the way. From only one side, the criminal side. He talked about Donald Trump and the Republican Party criminal organizations attack on the independence of the FBI and investigative agencies. He didn't talk about its attacks on journalists and all that other stuff, all the other hallmarks of democracy, but he was moved to talk about the attacks on the independence of the FBI by Donald Trump's latest comment referring to FBI professionals as scum. Another one of his favorite words. Scum, referring to his own intelligence agencies. Gosh, could you imagine if a Democratic president had said that? Yeah. He'd already be impeached out of office and probably executed. Webster pointed out that there were more than 100 contacts, he reminded us, between members of the Trump campaign and Russian agents during the 2016 presidential campaign. And Russian efforts to undermine our democracy continue to this day. He did not point out that those efforts to undermine our democracy support both sides. Because they don't. So we're left as democracy teeters for its life or holds on for its life at this point. Teeters on the edge. I'm mixing up my metaphors here. What should Democrats do? Well, they should follow the law. They should should support the U.S. Constitution. They should do what's incumbent upon them to do. And hopefully, at some point, this country will prove itself to be worth saving. I, once again, am, am... redoubled in my thoughts that Democrats should not respond to this by nominating for President of the United States a moderate who has promised to reach out and work with the other side. There is no other side. There is a criminal organization. They don't need to be worked with. They need to be defeated. The Democrats, I think, need to nominate someone who promises to start the revolution. I think it's the only chance we have to save anything in this country. It is hard to imagine at this point how this does not end in some kind of civil war. Anyway, on that note, uh, I expect that I will not talk to you before the holidays again. So, happy holidays, everybody. As part of our continued, of course, war on Christmas, I'd like to wish you a happy holiday, whatever holiday you are celebrating, and a happy new year. If we live that long. So, I guess really, thanks for joining us for our special holiday show. See you next week. You've been listening to Forward Nation Radio with David Leventhal. 